Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. The North American International Auto Show struggled a bit with its reinvention last year, and some say it's on track to repeat that performance this year. Jamie Butters of Automotive News has been tracking what's shaping up for this year's auto show, and he'll join to talk about it, as well as the implications that a diminished show carries. We'll also talk with a state rep about why traffic fatalities are rising. That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Henderson, and I'm really glad that you've decided to join us today. If you live here and have lived here for any time at all, you know how big a deal the annual auto show is. For over a century, the city has celebrated its very own industry and put its cars on display at the auto show, one of the largest auto shows in North America. But it's also true that through the years, as the auto industry has shifted, the auto show has had to change, too. In 1989, it was renamed the North American International Auto Show and began highlighting more global brands. And last year, the show changed again to focus on cars available in the region and move from January to September and put more of the emphasis on the tech that drives our vehicles that we drive. But all of those changes haven't necessarily been for the better. A lot of people believed that last year's show was a bit of a dud. It wasn't as crowded as shows have been in the past. There weren't as many automakers. And this year, some believe that the show is, quote, poised to disappoint again. We want to talk right now about the auto show and how it's changed over time, why it's been struggling, and how the show is reflective of changes in the industry and in our broader political economy. To do that, we have the person who coined that phrase, that the show is poised to disappoint again, with us. Jamie Butters is the executive editor of Automotive News and a co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast. He recently wrote a column about how the Detroit Auto Show is struggling and maybe not expected to be all that great this year. Jamie Butters, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Good to be here. Also, just a heads up, uh, Detroit Today did reach out to the auto show, the folks who run it, and they sent us a statement. And I'll start the conversation there. It says, quote, the Detroit Auto Show is part of the fabric of the city. And just like Detroiters, we keep moving forward. 
The 2023 Detroit Auto Show will have more vehicles and new experiences for our guests, all of which benefit our industry, the city of Detroit, and our great state of Michigan. That was from Rod Alberts, who is uh, the executive director of the Detroit Auto Dealers Association that puts on the auto show. Uh, They did say that they would have someone come and talk with us a little later in the summer when we get closer to the auto show's uh, beginning, which is going to be in September this year. So, Jamie, I am going to come to you now and have you react to what Rod says in that uh, in that statement. Your column kind of takes a different a different tack uh, on what's what's going on with the auto show. Well, what I like about that statement is he doesn't say anything that's demonstrably untrue. And my biggest issue and part of the a big reason I wrote the column was because their initial press release about this September show said there were going to be double the brands that there were last year. Because as you pointed out accurately in the opening, there weren't as much wasn't as much brand participation as there traditionally has been. We really had the Detroit Three with their 12 brands that they sell in the US and uh, Toyota and Subaru. So, and then there were a number of brands that were represented just by local dealers who were like, you know, local Honda, Acura, BMW. Like, we, you know, we, we don't want to miss out entirely. Let's at least put a car from our lot onto the show floor so that there's some representation. So I was like, well, how are you going to double? I mean, who's coming back? Are you getting the Koreans? Are you getting, you know, what, who's going to, who's coming? And there was, there were no answers and it just didn't make sense. So I sent my reporters, we sent our reporters out. Michael Martinez and a bunch of the other reporters who cover automakers and you know almost every brand said that wasn't there last year said they aren't coming back this year and Subaru which was one of the two non-Detroit brands uh, said it's not going to have a stand so like it's not going to double the show's answer was sort of like well we mean you have to include the brands that the dealers bring well, you already had those last year. So the only, you know, it's it, the only way that statement makes sense is if you're you're counting apples one year and all fruit the next. <laughs> and it's just not honest. And so look, it's a, it's a challenge to do this show. And you know, I want it to succeed, but if we're not honest about what the situation is, what isn't working, then nothing can be done to fix it. So I want to go back 12 months, maybe a little longer and talk about the real anticipation that I think a lot of people had about the 2022 show. That was the first show that was going to be held in the fall instead of January. It also had been a few years, of course, before, but uh, since we had been able to have, you know, the the the, the regular show because of of the pandemic, there was a lot of of hoopla about the things that were changing and how this would be a much better show from an experiential point of view. Not how many people said it would be a bigger show, but but certainly the expectation was that this was going to jumpstart the idea of the show and and send it careening positively into the future. So I want to talk about what happened last year and how that maybe spills over into what we're dealing with as we anticipate this year's show. Yeah, you know, so last year, you always have to think about auto shows, right, and sort of two phases there's there's the media portion um you know which used to be very important it's much less of a big deal around auto shows now Uh, they've really refocused back into consumer shows 
Detroit really leaned into that. And they had some things that kind of seemed to work or it seemed like they could they could be appealing. Um, of course, you know, most of a lot of us took selfies with the giant inflatable duck. Uh, there were a lot of test drives being done. There were demonstrations of new technology, hovercraft and things like that. Um, so, you know, there were some interesting things, but, you know, clearly, clearly it was a disappointment because they would not, at the end of the show's run, acknowledge how many people attended, right? And that's just something that's just standard. If you have a trade show and it's, you know, backed by taxpayer funds, among other things, and just, just to share what's going on. It's always something you do at those shows. Uh, Detroit used to pull in, you know, close to a million people a year, many hundreds of thousands. They were hoping for like half a million. You know, it was almost certainly quite a bit less than that. Uh, but again, we but we're not going to know how to how small it was and how we're building from it without having a clear sight into into who actually attended and uh, how paltry was it. Let's talk about the experiential differences that they injected into the show last year. I was pretty excited about those. Did that do what they wanted it to do for the show? And why did they feel like that was the thing that was needed? I mean, one of the things that's, that's of course, changing in the background is the nature of auto shows themselves and the rise of these tech shows that, that show off all the things that work inside your car, they have become huge. Uh, and, and so the, 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 the whole idea of the auto shows kind of grabbing center stage has been, has been tougher. What was it about making it almost like uh, more like an amusement park, I guess, that they thought would, would attract more people to the show than we had in the past? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious what it was that, that had you excited exactly. I mean, but there definitely was an attempt for some amusement park type environment. You had uh, the giant duck, you had, there were dinosaurs uh, walking around, you know, people in costumes as dinosaurs and dinosaur theme in one area. And uh, that was a that was an interesting choice. I think, you know, there was sort of probably the hope that, hey, it'll be fun for the kids and then it can be a whole family day. Um, but it also, you know, led to some some snarky jokes, right, about the <laughs> dinosaur being full of it or the industry being full of dinosaurs or needing more dinosaurs to get more oil to <laughs> power the cars. Uh, that was that was a interesting, interesting move, yeah. um, I think. But but, you know, we also had the big, you know, uh, uh, structured, you know, mountains and hills for the uh, you know, Fords and Jeeps and things to climb over and give people some of those kinds of experiences. And then, of course, the EV drives around in and out of the show and the show floor. And those, I think those are successful. They tend to be, uh, you know, have long lines. People are really eager to uh, partake of them. I think sometimes they're disappointed they don't get to drive the electric cars. They more often just get to to ride in them. Uh, but at least it gives you a chance for some familiarity if that's you know something you're looking for as a lot of consumers are you know most most people don't have an ev then it's only seven percent of sales so far this year about and so but there are a lot of people who are who are curious who are interested and auto shows can be a great place to gain some familiarity be able to ask some questions not feel like you're in a high pressure situation mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of opportunity for educational uh, you know, experiences at auto shows. So what about these tech shows? The, the, the big one in Vegas is 
you know, many multiple times the size of our auto show and is just gaining popularity. It feels like every year there's more and more people who want to go. And of course, there are more and more developers and manufacturers who want to who want to show off what they're doing at these shows. Is that what's killing the auto show as much as anything that we do to 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 change this particular auto show to be more appealing well it's it's very much what killed this auto show you know from what it was as a beginning of the year you know major international event uh, really by the traditional newsworthiness standards ces has become the world's preeminent auto show it's one of the few where you might see ceos from you know the us europe asia all at one place. It's where I think it had the most, uh, you know, concept car reveals of any show, you know, outside of China, uh, you know, in the past since COVID. Uh, this last year, I mean, we had the that's where the Ram EV was shown. And the reason I say that CES is what killed Detroit was, you know, it it also came right at the beginning of the year, and it just became such a a bigger show, a sexier show in some ways. And then really the the straw that broke the camel's back to me, I guess it was maybe it was an earlier straw than, than the final one, but was when GM decided to reveal the Bolt. You know, the Bolt EV was a breakthrough car for GM, giving them something to try to compete with the Model 3. In hindsight, maybe not as cool, not as much sizzle, but, you know, a really important, a statement vehicle uh, from GM, and they revealed it at CES and then came to Detroit to do a technical briefing about it. And it just showed that CES had taken over that spot. The the conundrum for Detroit, right? It's like, well, you'd want to be important. You want to still get reveals. Like, I mean, last year, the Mustang reveal, that was hot. That was really, uh, that was a big night in, in Detroit. The problem was the actual show day the next day uh, just couldn't carry the momentum through. Nobody had any vehicles to reveal. Uh, but yeah, uh, CES has just really taken it over. What we had in January, though, was a lot of habits you know school districts putting kids in buses to come down <laughs> uh you know engineers who would come down for industry day to check out the competitive vehicles and um you know what their you know suppliers checking out what their uh competitors got to sell to somebody uh, so you know a real pattern of behavior when there wasn't weren't a lot of other entertainment alternatives you know and i i, I dig what you know, they were trying to do with a, a move to June or September, uh, trying to make it more a part of the other, you know, fun things there are to do in Michigan. But the reality is we all only have so much time and so much money. And when it's September in Michigan, like there's a lot of stuff to do. There's Michigan football. There's still Tigers baseball. There's, I mean, there's Michigan State, right? We've got college football, pro baseball. Up north is still fun and beautiful. Like it's, it's just a lot to compete with. It's tough. Okay. When we come back, we're going to keep talking with Jamie Butters, the executive editor of Automotive News, about the auto show. We're going to expand the conversation just a little to talk about some of the broader political and economic implications that are roiling the auto industry right now. And of course, then having an effect on the city of Detroit and our region. Also want to get going with you on the phones. What do you make of the change to the Detroit auto show? Did you go last year? What did you make of all of the differences 
Do you care that there weren't as many automakers at that show? They're showing off the cars that they're making. Uh, has the thing changed over time in a way that you think makes it less exciting than it was? Or are you somewhat more excited? Also, give us a sense of what you're thinking about cars. What do you think about the price of cars? What do you think about these new EVs? All of the things that are really changing right now inside the industry. 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for tuning in. We're talking right now with Jamie Butters. He is the executive editor of Automotive News and co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast. He recently wrote a column about how the Detroit Auto Show is, quote, poised to disappoint again. The show faces a number of challenges and has, for many years, was supposed to get a jump start last year from a major revamp that didn't really happen. And there has been more news this summer that the show may get even smaller than it was before. We would love to hear from you during the conversation as well, not just about the auto show and its changes, but also about the auto industry and its changes. Uh, What do you make of all of the things that look really different about our cars, how we buy them, how we drive them, how we fuel them uh, than we used to do, uh, not in the recent, not in the too uh, too distant past. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can make you part of the show that way. Uh, Jamie, I want to talk about what, what before we get to the, the, the kind of broader industry questions, I want to talk a little more about what you think the possibility or maybe the opportunity is for the show to to fill some of these gaps that uh, have opened up, and actually pull off a show that 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 moves us into uh, a more certain future for NAIAS. Well, uh, you know, I'm I'm not a show organizer, but if I if I were to pretend to play one on TV, I mean, I would want to do. I think there's there's a couple of key things, right? You've got to find a way. You got to make sure you get like full participation from the Detroit three, right? Detroit, Detroit's a tough market for international automakers, right? So many of us here, people work for the automakers, they work for the suppliers, they get friends and family discounts, or they're just, you know, loyal because that's because this is the industry that built Detroit, right? So it's hard for a Toyota or a Hyundai or a BMW to really move the needle on, on market share. So I think they've got to kind of really lean into the Detroitness, uh, maybe get sounds crazy, but like UAW involvement in a in a positive way. Hopefully, we don't see a lot of UAW protests during this year's show. Uh, but 
you know, it's like I think you really want to focus on it. Say, hey, it's a company town. This is the Motor City, and this is this is the Detroit Three's backyard. And almost a, I almost would envision like a a combined company picnic, right? <laughs> uh, the other thing I think for auto shows generally, right? There's there's a, just such a huge gap between what American consumers know about electric vehicles and automated driving, and what people in the industry know and I feel like there's a great opportunity to build like a almost a like the Museum of Science and Industry right in Chicago or LA and have those kinds of displays that can really teach people well how do we get what are bit what are batteries made of right <laughs> and where do we get those minerals from and how are they processed and and how are they treated at the end of of the vehicle's life um how do you charge a vehicle you know what can you what are your options at home what are your options on the road Obviously, these things are going to evolve over time, but they seem like things that could be explained and that people would be interested in, might be willing to pay money and go to learn about. And the third thing is, and I've heard this idea, I'm um, going to be exploring it more on my podcast uh, soon, uh, but you know, the, the, there's so much shopping that can be done online sure. that you can really make an auto show if you're walking around with your phone or an, even an iPad, but really even just your own phone, you could almost buy the car right off the floor, right? Or you can compare it to everything else. So I think there's making that digital shopping part of the auto show experience is another way that shows can really remain relevant and lean into their role in serving consumers to find the products they need. Okay. Uh, So I do want to switch to talking about some of the broader things going on in the industry because there is a lot of change. And I want to start with a couple of comments that we've gotten on social media during the show. Dave uh, on Twitter says, I don't attend anymore because I couldn't care less about new vehicles. New trucks and SUVs cost $800 to $1,500 a month these days. And as a one-income household, new vehicles aren't an option. In my 20s, I dreamt about new cars. Now in my 40s, I'm trying to keep costs down. Stacy on Twitter says, I'm just going to say this. Maybe the intense samifying of car models takes a lot of the fun out of the experience for the average person. There's not a single road trip where I don't spend long minutes complaining about how one distinctive makes look the same, the same sad same. Uh, that's two comments that I think really hit not just on the trouble that the show may be having, but also things that are happening in the industry that change the way we think about cars, which of course then drives our interest in the show itself. So, so let's start with uh, the things that are that are changing with with tech and the cost that comes along with that and and what that means not just yeah. for our our listener David but for everybody and and mm-hmm. whether whether we're headed to a space where cars are becoming a new car is becoming something of a luxury that many many people won't won't really get to experience yeah affordability is such a challenge uh, for the industry and for the american consumer it it wasn't that long ago that you know, regular working class people could buy a new car. There were new car options in the price ranges that, you know, the average family could afford. Uh, That has really been skewed during the pandemic times and the chip shortage. It'll be interesting to see 
how it adjusts relative to average wages uh, going forward. You know, we're already starting to see some adjustment in the mix, right? When so when the industry could make only you know seventy percent or eighty percent of the vehicles they wanted to. Uh, there was such over demand that they just said, okay, we're going to do only the top of the line so we can sell them all for the highest price and the highest profit. And the profits showed it. Uh, the automakers made record profits, auto dealers made record profits. Uh, and now there's more chip supply, there's more throughput coming through the factories. Not everybody can buy you know, a $65,000 truck mm-hmm. or a $50,000 sedan. So we're starting to see a little more evening out of the mix, more of the base level models are being uh, manufactured and put on the on the lots. We're starting to see some incentives come back. I mean, for a long time, the average transaction price was even higher than the MSRP, the manufacturer's suggested retail price. And, you know, that was unheard of before, except for, you know, the occasional super, super hot model. So, uh, you know, affordability is a big concern, and especially with interest rates getting higher, you know, I, there's some thinking about a model where maybe more of the vehicles are sold uh, to people in the top quintile of the of earners, the, the top fifth of incomes, but because they last so much longer mm-hmm. and can be updated over the year that when other people buy you know, second and third hand cars, they're getting much better second and third hand cars than ever existed before. Can you talk just a little about the relationship between the tech boom, I guess, that that is changing the way that the cars are are built and the way they function and this cost issue? Is it that we are that we are adding so much to what we expect from from cars and expect them to do that is raising the price or is there something else that's making them as expensive as well i mean you're you're not wrong that the the safety tech and the infotainment uh, systems that we have they add cost uh, they add you know hundreds of dollars maybe even thousands or a thousand or two to to different vehicles the most important, I mean, the the most expensive component on any vehicle on the road now is the battery in an electric vehicle. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge part. You know, we have really the two main forces are uh, raising prices is, uh, you know, the, the high cost of batteries for electric vehicles. So almost all, you know, we saw, we saw the Tesla model, right? If you are making EVs and they have these super expensive batteries, start by selling super expensive cars and then try to bring the prices down as you can bring your cost down. So uh, that's we you know, working where we are in the adoption of EVs. Hmm. We're getting a lot of expensive cars, even you know cars that look like compact you know crossovers, regular you know family cars. They're fifty and fifty-five thousand dollars. You know if they're electric or or more. And hopefully they they stay under the federal you know uh, EV tax credit limits. Uh, but then the other thing is just you know look people like trucks they like big SUVs they want all the technology the, and 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 it's just you know, the other big force one is is the cost of EVs and batteries and the other is just scarcity and within the face of scarcity uh, businesses raise prices as long as consumers are willing to pay them and there have been you know easily the whatever 12 to 12 to 13 million Americans willing to pay a lot of money. Uh, more than Dave, uh, you know, for a new vehicle. And hopefully over the coming year or two, 
maybe three. Uh, we get more new vehicle options out there for folks like Dave, and we get more good used vehicles out there. I mean, the problem we produce so few vehicles for the last two, three years mm -hmm. that there is going to be a scarcity of good used cars for you know half a decade. Uh, what about Stacy's concerns about the way the cars look and that uh, she says, you know, the, the, the era of distinctive models is is somehow gone. Is is the tech focus? Uh, is it subduing design, which used to be, of course, one, kind of our bread and butter here in Detroit uh, at the at the Detroit three automakers? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm. I'm you know, you can go back to the 90s and see a lot of copycat uh, vehicles when and all the pickups started to look alike, all the minivans started to look alike, all the sedans started to look alike. There definitely is, you know, within the EV trends, you know, everybody's going with the same super aero, aerodynamic design. Uh, you know, she's not wrong. There's a there's a lack of creativity in for the most part because, you know, people want to be safe. It's why, you know, hamburgers usually come with you know, ketchup, mustard, and pickles. Uh, I guess you know because the people they just aim for the middle, give them the vanilla ice cream. I think there is some. You know, we are seeing some more unique designs. I, you know, I mean the GMC Hummer EV. Um, obviously, you know the Celestic is sort of a, a super high-end Cadillac. I think the Ionic Six, you know, is uh, is a really beautiful car. Uh, it's kind of it's it's shorter than a Beetle, and it's a little bigger and more useful than a you know Porsche 911, um, but it has that sort of curvy look that's that's really distinctive on the road. Uh, but you know it is part of the value proposition, right? And if you feel like you want a car that looks distinctive and special, maybe you don't want to pay fifty thousand dollars, you know, or forty thousand dollars for a sedan that looks like every other sedan. Hmm. Uh, we're talking with Jamie Butters. He is the executive editor of Automotive News and co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast. He recently wrote a column about the Detroit Auto Show and how it is, quote, poised to disappoint again. We're talking not just about the show, but about the auto industry, all the things going on, uh, all the things changing in the auto industry and how that affects us as well as the auto show. Love to hear from you on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we can include you in the conversation that way. Um, Jamie, I want to talk about a story that I saw today uh, in one of the newspapers about the upcoming contract talks in the industry and uh, the anticipation that we could have an an auto strike uh, and, and that the UAW um, may walk out. Uh, let, let's talk about what that would mean and, and how that fits into Again, the narrative of change in the industry, costs and and design, and all of these things that uh, that drive how we how we choose the vehicles that we're going to buy. Yeah, there's a widespread expectation that there will be at least one strike uh, by the UAW. Very likely, a strike also by the Canadian Union Unifor, uh, which will be negotiating simultaneously. Uh, very interesting times you know i think a lot of it with with the uaw um you have a lot of factors pulling them in in that direction right they've got uh, a new president who's been uh, very 
confrontational in his rhetoric. Of course, he's trying to restore the union leadership's credibility after a massive bribery scandal that sent two former presidents to prison, however briefly, uh, and several other people as well. Uh, so he's got to show that he's not, you know, in the pocket of the companies. Plus, you know, you've got workers who are well compensated, you know, but they agreed to a contract in 2019 and then COVID hit and we saw, you know, huge inflation and huge profits by the automakers and they did, they get profit sharing. It's not like they don't get a part of that, but they maybe feel like they should have gotten more and they want, they maybe feel a little less well off compared to inflation compared to the price of goods and services than they did four years ago. So they want to make up for that. And you've just seen a, you know, a rise in uh, labor around the country. You know, the UAW has just had several strikes that have followed, you know, contract talks that haven't gone smoothly and then they end up getting a deal and they seem happy with it. So I think they feel like that's a useful tool and there's very little reason to think they won't use it uh, when the time comes. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Let's go to Harry in Sterling Heights. Harry, welcome to the show. Yes, I'm an old guy. I'm a big car fan. Why is everything an SUV nowadays? When I was a kid, we had a <laughs> station wagon. People made fun of us. Hey, your dad's got a station wagon. And now they're collector's items. And then uh, everything <laughs> now is an SUV. I, you know, my wife and I are retired uh, all we need is a, a two-door, get it's point A to point B. They don't build any more of the two-door coupes, nothing with styling, and everything's got you know, four doors and it's, it's an SUV. <laughs> yeah, Harry, cars are definitely bigger now than they than they used to be, and, and by that I mean that on average uh, the cars that they're making are much bigger than the ones uh, that we used to, to, to drive and, and want the industry to make. In the 70s and 80s, uh, you know, the, the obsession then with fuel efficiency and things like that led cars to be much smaller. Jamie, what is the explanation for why right now, he, you know, Harry's right, almost everything that's for sale is some sort of SUV or as they call it, a crossover, which I th- always think, well, that's just a small SUV, but it's still it's still <laughs> an SUV. <laughs> yeah, I mean... D- there are different explanations of SUV, but the main reason is uh, uh, when you ask consumers what they want, most of them want an SUV. So most of them are getting little station wagons, uh, you know, called crossovers. I mean, to me, one of the big differences, at least used to be a big difference, and a difference was it was maybe an SUV if it was a body-on-frame vehicle uh, built in the way that a pickup is, is made. Uh, and they would be, you know, you think about an early Bronco, um, and all that, or even, I guess even today's Broncos, but you think back to the early SUVs, right? They were built like trucks and people like that image. So then we got these crossovers that were uh, cooler than station wagons, um, but basically trying to capture that utility, that usefulness. Uh, but people said, well, I, I want an SUV, but I want better mileage. Like, oh, well, take this this crossover utility vehicle and now you know they call them most most brands will call them SUVs even if they're you know not much bigger than a than a compact car uh, but if it's not shaped like a sedan they'll call it an SUV mm-hmm. uh, because that's what people put in their Google searches yeah yeah um, uh, let's go back to the phones here Todd in Lake Orion Todd welcome to the show good morning 
Uh, appreciate the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, two quick things, and uh, you know, tied in somewhat to the auto show, and you appreciate you having an expert on. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the Ford uh, Bronco. Uh, God bless Ford. I'm sure they're trying to do their best. But uh, anybody that's been involved in the ordering of the Ford Broncos and uh, <laughs> the best of luck uh, approach that I feel Ford has taken with this, I just wanted to know if your expert could shed any light. Is this ever going to get any better? I mean, have they just have they fumbled this so poorly that? I just feel, and, and I'm still on the list. You know, I put my name in there. I put oh, in my wow. order. I, I want one. I'm going to ride it out for as long as I possibly can. But just somewhat of an outsider's opinion, how, how did Ford mess this up? And I realized the COVID, it was terrible timing. Sure. Uh, you know, the trim packages and all the things that they've done. But I, I just want someone's open and honest opinion. How, how did Ford mess this up so badly? Uh, Todd, uh, before we get back to Jamie, how long have you been waiting? Oh, well over a year. Oh, wow. My goodness. Uh, well, I hope, you, I hope you get your car soon because <laughs> they are pretty cool, and I know lots of people who are driving them who like them quite a bit. Uh, Jamie, what's the answer? Uh, and we haven't talked much about supply chain, which I know has something to do with what's going on there. Um, Todd's waiting a year for a new, a new Bronco. Is, is, is that a fatal error on, on Ford's part? No, it's just, it's a, it's a bummer. It's a little bit of, it's a bit of a miscalculation, but it's, gosh, it's so hard to tell when you have, when, when there's a really popular vehicle being developed, right? Because right away they could have sold half a million of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you build enough capacity to sell half a million, to build half a million in a year, is are there going to be another half a million pe- buyers the next year and the next year and the next year? They have to be able to to run it out over at least, you know, five years, if not 10. And uh, and so then when they end up with something that's so popular, they clearly got the design right. They got a lot of the tech right uh, and just got so many people signing up that, yeah, huge weights. There's also, you know, if you want to get the the Maverick hybrid, it's a huge weight for that one too. Um, I I don't know. Todd Todd doesn't seem set, uh, uh, satisfied, but I do know that the, with the Bronco customers, they've made pretty extraordinary efforts to uh, keep in touch with them. To say, you know, sending uh, little little gifts, you know, I don't know, a compass or a scarf or whatever, a water bottle. You know, uh, thank you for ordering a Bronco. We're still we're still thinking of you and we, we still care. Um, you know, it's, it's tough. Um, and so, you know, the, look, I mean, it's, it's great business because they can sell all of them for top dollar. People want to load them up with everything, but you don't want people having to wait. And, and, and we've seen it at Tesla too, right. And people had to wait, people who camped out to order the model three, uh, sight unseen on the first day it went on sale. And some of those people had to wait a couple of years. So it's, it's not without precedent, but it's not without disappointment. Uh, it's, you know, you just, as a company, you don't want to put, you know, loyal, enthusiastic customers <laughs> through that kind of misery, but it's, it is part of what happens when you have a successful vehicle. Will the supply chain, uh, open back up to the point where this is less of a nuisance for for buyers. The Chips and Science Act, of course, is is a nod in that direction, but it'll take some time, I think, for that to actually have the effect that's intended. Uh, but but will we get to a point where 
the, these kind of weights for for vehicles are not are not as common. Yes, absolutely. Uh, production is already you know back to nearly full swing at all the plants in in North America and most around the world. Obviously, we still have. Uh, war in Eastern Europe that is limiting production in you know Germany and and places like that, places to the east of there. But you know North American production is back in full swing. It's a lot healthier for the suppliers. We have uh, worked with um, one of the companies, Auto Forecast Solutions. You know, ever since the chip shortage became kind of a crisis, uh, they would tell us each week, okay, how many vehicles were cut from production plans and how many they project will be cut over the year. And last year was less bad than 2021. This year it's projected to be less bad than 2022. And in fact, even just in the past month, uh, they reduced their outlook for lost production due to lack of chips. So, you know, and what the manufacturing executives and people keep saying is that uh, through the through the chip crisis, they learned a lot better what they can do uh, to secure supply, how to communicate better, how to balance the needs of different factories better, and maybe they can be more resilient and continue, you know, throughput. We're seeing inventories build up at least a little on dealership lots. So yeah, prices should start coming down and weights should start coming down. But of course, the exceptional, you know, a uh, handful of, of super popular vehicles, um, there's going to be a wait. Okay. Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News. Always really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining us to talk about the auto show and the auto industry. Glad to do it. When we come back, we're going to keep talking about auto-related matters, but we're going to specifically pivot to traffic accidents, which have gotten worse in the state over the last three years, specifically fatal traffic accidents. Uh, State Representative Tyrone Carter, a Democrat from Detroit, is going to join us to discuss. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for tuning in. We love to drive in this country, and especially here in southeast Michigan, but it's also one of the most dangerous things we do. According to the Centers for Disease Control, auto accidents are a leading cause of death for Americans between the ages of birth and 54. Over the past few years, especially in this state, those accidents have gotten worse. According to a recent report, traffic fatalities in Michigan increased from 985 to over 1,100 from 2019 to 2022. So why is this happening? What's causing the problem to get worse? And what can state and city representatives do to decrease traffic deaths. To talk about this, we've got State Representative Tyrone Carter with us. His district covers the city of Detroit, and he recently sponsored distracted driving legislation that will go into effect June 30th. Representative Carter, welcome to Detroit Today. 
Good morning, and thank you for having me. So what do you make of these traffic fatality numbers? Why do you think they've gone up and gone up so quickly? Well, uh, they, they've gone up primarily because of distracted driving. So I'm a little older. I remember when people used to get in accidents for reaching down to change radio stations. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be a common thing. Well, this move is filming. So I think car manufacturers have done a great job of relieving some of those issues. You know, you have a cup holder right next to your, your gear shift. You have ways to control the volume on your radio within the steering wheel. So technology has really caught up with some of the issues that were raised. I mean, we can go as far back as, you know, when people weren't wearing seat belts. So, you know, there was a click it and ticket campaign sure. that, that made people aware and do it. So the, the real reason behind this, Stephen, is, is to change behaviors of, of folks. We don't want to be punitive. We don't want to take anybody's. There's no points associated with this or anything. But. What we've noticed, and you know, we've we've grown up with a generation, they're drivers now, that their cell phones are part of their DNA, sure. if you will. I mean, it's part of their 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 life. And so <clears throat> it has gotten to a point, and and I'm guilty of it too, um, where we, we we have to change behavior. So and, and this is, you know, some of my colleagues in, in the uh, legislature were a bit apprehensive. And I said, well, let me give you a little, little background on how we change behaviors. So when I was born, I probably went home uh, in my mother's lap. <laughs> now, you can't, you can't leave the hospital with your newborn without a certain child care uh, car seat. Sure. Yeah. So they, they make sure that it's not just that you have it, but that it's installed correctly in the car so that, uh, you know, the newborn is as safe as, as possible. Um, so, so tell me about this legislation. What would it do and why do you think it may reduce traffic deaths? Well, the first thing is the awareness campaign, that it is, you know, uh, a violation. I don't think that people, I mean, there was first the no texting while driving. But what I've noticed, and, and I was coming from Lansing one night and the NBA finals was on. And a gentleman had his phone mounted and he was watching the game while he was oh driving. My goodness. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, come, come, come on now. Oh, come on. You, you could run it through ESPN radio or something, you know, listen to the baby. So uh, again, we've noticed this. And I want to say one of the um, advocates for this, his son was killed by a distracted driver. And so he left his job at GM. I can't think of his name right now, but he's been trying to do this for the last three sessions. And so we finally got it over the finish line. We had to make some modifications like no points, um, just fines and fees. And if you do it, if you're guilty of it within a three-year period, you have to go take a driver's remediation class. Hmm. So it's not meant to be punitive, but something that is meant to be, hey, uh, this is a teachable moment. Um, You know, there's technology available now so that you can go hands-free. And if you don't, just almost like gun locks, you know, places are giving them away. So if there's anybody in my district that needs one or, or you know, we, we can assist with that. Because, again, and, and as a parent of a son who was killed in a car accident, mm-hmm. it's a little sensitive to me. Sure. So, sure. Um, hell, if I can save somebody that heartache, I will. Yeah. Uh, when you drive around the city right now, I think one of the things you notice is is how much we're changing streets and changing the way that we're supposed to drive 
on streets. We have a lot more bike lanes than we used to. There is some uh, other kinds of infrastructure changes and improvements that that try to make things safer, I think, for people. But often it can be confusing, I guess, uh, or, or it seems to me like drivers get confused by it. Um, uh, what do you make of of those changes and what they have to do with uh, or may have to do with the rise in, in fatalities? Well, the biggest thing is there was really no campaign to, you know, uh, educate people on, hey. There was really you know, none. We, yeah. There, no, no. You wake up like Jefferson. You know, you go down Jefferson and you speak two, three lanes and then next thing you know, it's like, what is this? Michigan Avenue. So I, I think that uh, the the public was done a huge disservice by not being brought up to speed with the changes. So that's one of the things that we've tried to do with this is, you know, get the word out, get the word out, getting the word out, you know, creating these expectations. Um, you, you go in some neighborhoods, you know, there's no speed bumps. You go in other neighborhoods, there there's speed bumps. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, we almost like a knee jerk reaction. We've done these things without any like, okay, let's build it up, build it up. You know, like with this bill, people knew it It was in the works. They knew it was coming. Um, they knew the rollout. They understand the consequences. And there's a pushback date when it takes effect because nothing's going to happen overnight. Right. So when you talk about those bike lanes, you know, I, I agree with you 100 percent. It was almost like you woke up one day and there are bike lanes and, and hold on, I can't park here. Hold on. I, I've got to watch my right hand turn lane now for bikes. Um and, and then people are saying, well, I don't see that many people riding bikes anyway to justify this length. So it's just been a lot of. It's I'm, a lot I'm of change. Be, yeah. A lot of change with, with no information That's on right. the impact. Yeah. I, on I, on I the mean, impact. I mean, I support the, the, the aims of the bike lanes and the other things to, you know, to keep people safe. But we should have done a better job, I think, of, of letting people know that we were doing it and, and telling them how to use it, right? Uh, I think 100% agree. A lot of the things that I see people doing, I think they don't know that they're not supposed to do. Uh, and there isn't a lot of, there isn't a lot of, uh, of, of education. Uh, last question, and we've only got about a minute and a half left. Uh, do you think increasing access to good public transit would, again, get more people out of cars and uh, into into other vehicles and reduce the chances for uh, these tragic uh, these traffic these traffic accidents that that in some cases take people's lives. One hundred percent. I mean, that has been one of the biggest issues um, in, in the city of Detroit, in this region, in this area, in this state. We have no regional transit system of any consequence. Um, you know, car insurance is high. I mean, people are looking for alternatives on how to get around. Mm-hmm. And if we would invest in the infrastructure, you know, something as simple as reliable transportation to get people from one hub to another, sure, I think it would really cut down on, on a lot of these. And would also be a, a business incentivizer when, when companies are looking to relocate here, we, we've heard that for years. Hell, I'm 61 years old and I've been hearing this forever that you guys don't have a transit system of any consequence. Toronto has one. Chicago has one. New York, D.C. LA, everybody has one but the Motor City. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Uh, Tyrone Carter, state representative from here in Detroit. Uh, really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining. 
Thank you. That's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk about the recently created event, Black Tech Saturdays, and the ways that people are working to make tech jobs more inclusive and accessible. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.